At Utility Muffin Labs, we are dedicated to accommodating our consumer clients with uncontrived, austere, generalized, and adequate snack-based comestible muffin provisions for your cafeteria or common staff member gathering areas. We refrain from overt decorative adornment that can foment jobholder chaos and sedition. A saccharine workforce is a productive workforce. Procure your necessary muffin repository by visiting us at utilitymuffinlabs.com, on Facebook at Utility Muffin Labs, on Twitter at 25 Years of VTM, or Utility Muffins, all one word. On Instagram at Utility Muffin Labs, one word. Support the labs on Patreon at patreon.com slash 25 years of Vampire the Masquerade. And finally, adorn your human form with our t-shirts at tpublic.com slash users slash Utility Muffin Labs. Utility Muffin Labs, think homogenous. This is 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade, a retrospective podcast brought to you by UtilityMuffinLabs.com. Welcome to another episode of 25 Years of Vampire the Masquerade. My name is Nathan. And I'm Bob. And today we're going to go into the time of thin blood. From Year of the Reckoning. This is a book that brings us into the revised pre-Gehenna build-up plot um, and talks a bit about, well, talks a lot about the thin-blooded vampires, those that are of the 14th and 15th generations, those that uh, herald the coming of Gehenna. And, uh, you know, it starts out very similar to most of these books with a story that tells of a, a woman giving birth to a child. Um, and uh, I, I'm not going to ruin that story, but... Ed, I am. Yeah, just go, it, yeah go ahead. I, I won't detail it, but it's just... Uh, it's, it's a 15th gen vampire. She's with her... Not a husband, but with the mortal dad. Mm-hmm. Nine months after the, the conception, she's given birth. They don't know how to do it, but they do know, and according to the story anyway, they're under extreme paranoia because the city they're in, they'll be killed. Right. If they're found, they were going to be killed anyway. And uh, this book introduces in-depth detail about what a scourge is and why that would be in effect. It also will get into later on about the reason the camera outlook is on what, what she is, what she represents. Right. But the most important thing of this story, every story that the intro does, does what I'm about to tell you. Takes that book and it gives you a feel of what's going on, how to use all the elements they portray in a story right and you get to see them they do that very well every single time and then they just basically slice away the onion right as you go along in it and uh the intro is just that giving birth to a baby which is called the damn pier and we learn about that later on yep yeah this book is uh is fairly detailed uh on the the lower or upper generations the higher generations the thin-blooded vampires uh, all of the particulars about them and like my initial when I first read through this book, my uh, initial assessment of it is it um, and it's probably because of the addition of the whole net church thing, but it's very much like uh, part two of Ghoul's Fatal Addiction. Right. Like it it very much has the same layout, the same kind of setup as that book does, where it's giving you a ton, a ton of detail and then even more detail. And then it additionally gives you like thematic cues it gives you you know how how do you use these in your own uh in your in your own game 
how do you sit down in your chronicle with your players and use this? I agree. That uh, that section in Thin Blood, like the very next one, in fact, that they dive right into head first. Right. It's uh, Dr. Netchurch, and for rehash, he's the Malkavian aficionado scientist tasked by certain members of the Camarilla and otherwise to define what it is to be a kindred. Mm-hmm. What are they? And remember, Netchurch doesn't believe in vampires. That's a term he commonly uses for everyone else's vernacular. Vernacular. That's it. To him, it's just a definition. That's it. Now, he's trying to define it because he, he himself doesn't believe that's what they are. They're in evolution. I forget the name he makes for them. as a different phylus entirely. But to him, he's made in his mania. I shouldn't say mania. I should say in his intellect, he's developed a digestible definition using science right. uh, to prove what's going on. That's what makes this very interesting. Right, very much so. The key elements that he goes through here is that uh, he uses somebody else's scientific work. This is something you would see in a collaboration in the scientific community. If we were all working on one research project, I would make a paper and tell you my findings, and you would take that paper and hopefully find something else right. from it. You reproduce my experiments and reproduce my outcomes. Exactly. And what he, what he defines is the vitae of efficacy scales. Now, these measure starvation, or he doesn't, but his colleague is using. Mm-hmm. That person has already measured starvation, wound, or excuse me, got that backwards. Netchurch did the scales. His colleague does the uh, vitae, efficacy units, the VEUs, mm-hmm. using the research. It's collaborative. That's what they both come up with. But they uh, measured starvation, wound regeneration, the mite scale, discipline scale, the ghoul scale. Then they go further to classify the thin bloods, uh, meaning there's a normal 14th gen, then the official thin-blooded 14th gen, and then thin-blooded 15th gen. Well, some of this stuff you can probably get pretty easy. I mean, we don't have to go at length in it like he does. Right. But what those scales are is that determining, if you're not picking up on it, the exact nature of what a vampire can do, but only pertaining to these generations. Right. So that's interesting because they didn't launch a study into anybody else's gen, right? Which makes sense. Why would you? where the elders don't go looking in us, dickhead. Right. We want to figure out about these thin-blooded. Well, with that, in, with that info, it goes over what their do's and don'ts are. One is the starvation. As horrible as that is. They t- he claims volunteers, and even right. he uses quotations, <laughs> right, right. Right? right? And in controlled conditions, he had them fully feed, and in time to see how long it took them to starve. Right. How long before they uh, fall all the way into torpor? How long before... Uh, you know, they lose themselves to frenzy, you know, right. all, all of those specifics. Hor- horrific to think right. about it. Then wound regeneration and exactly what that means. If I shoot this 14th gen, who appears to be normal, how long does it take him to heal the wound? Now I got to do the exact same wounding right. to this 15th gen. Right. And then I, I have to do the wound a number of times. Got to make sure. Right. And they have to be exactly the same. You know, any slight deviation and it could affect how quickly they heal it. He staked them and he unstaked them. He drowned them to see if it had any effect. He hit them with sunlight. I mean, thorough scientific data. Right. He even cut flesh away from them and tested it in sunlight to find out that the 15th gen had a resistance to sunlight. Right. And only the 15th gen. Fascinating stuff, right? Good read. But a threat, right? Mm -hmm. So moving from that, that's where he gets his classifications. Like a normal 14th gen is basically a 13th gen with less blood. That's more or less what he's saying, but you got to call it 14th gen. Right. Because it's still different. Right. But it's not that because there's the thin blooded 14th gen that's between 14th and 15th. Right. 
And then there's full-on 15th classified well, thin blood. And then they even go a little bit further. And they talk that, uh, you know, by weighing the individual subject, we can determine that all, you know, the 13th, 14th, and 15th generation, they all have the same amount of capacity, right? right? They, they give you, here's your game terms, like you get a 10th, uh, a 10-point cap for your blood pool. Well, here's the game term. But here's the scientific way we can determine that. But what they determine is, while you're at 13th generation, you have access to all 10 of your blood. But then, you have, when you're 14th generation, you have access to all of your blood, except those last two, you can only use for very specific things. You can't power disciplines, you can't, you know, right. et cetera. And then 15th generation, the same. So they all have the same capacity, but their capacity for using it differs. Well, that's where they use the term VEUs, right? Right. They say there's always two VEUs in reserve. Right. When you get to the, to the 14th thin-blooded and the 15th right. thin-blooded, but a normal can use all 10. Right. But that normal still can't do certain things that the 13th can't. Yeah, absolutely. And that's, the, that's what they cover. And that's what's great. But also, more importantly, which I like is the shout-out that they determine why this is funny to me because it's cheeky as hell. Net Church has discovered the blood point. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> that's, <laughs> that's the funniest thing to me. He actually has defined it as the VEUs. How many VEUs does someone hold? Right. Um, I got to tell you, that when I saw that and I read that, that has to be because of player phenomenon. That people thought of blood points as such a mechanic that they, they focused on it. And then they just found a way to bring it in. Like, yeah. you wanted it, here it is. Enjoy. I, I really would agree with you. I wish I could disagree with you. But to me, it's it. And I don't know what this says about my brain. But I was always just like, who cares? Right. I have this much that I can utilize, and I have to consume this much. It's a mechanic to explain a role play. Right. You know, to explain something that's a side effect of being a vampire. But very much, you can tell where they were like, all right, fine, let's figure out a way to make well, this a real thing. We'll, we'll have Netchurch do it. Right. It makes sense. Um, and after discovering the blood point, it goes on to defining what the embrace is like for them. Their discipline creation. This is the most maddening thing in this book for me to read. Mm -hmm. Their blood is thin enough to be mutable in relation to the powers they can develop. What? I you guys can't see my face because uh, obviously this is a podcast, but my face is just like expressionless. It's just so you got the same thing I did when you got there. Like, wait a minute, wait a minute. You're more powerful because you're, you're the the curse is what? what? Yeah, I don't, I don't know. It, to me, it's like. Um... It just doesn't really make sense, uh, but also it's like, okay, well, we want people to want to play this, but they're weak and they can't really do as much, but for some reason they can make their own disciplines because they they forego the ties to their parent clan or whatever. This harkens back to that book that we're going to get into when it's the first reference to the Kindred of the East, you know what mm -hmm. I'm talking about? Right. The Outcast book. Right. When they make that whole uh, Japanese bloodline. And they give them the ability to have made their own unique discipline. And I'm like sitting here going, well, there's that work and this work. And apparently we didn't learn. Right. And now we're given the tools. Fair enough. The time this book came out, you got to remember, they were at an all-time high to find interest. And they were ramping down the World of Darkness for Requiem. So keep that in the back oh, of your yeah, head. Absolutely. And I look at it like this, too. Like, you listen to your players and... You listen. You, I mean, you have no choice but to listen to the loudest people, right? Right. And I'm sure, I like, I can remember back if we go back to '99, 2000. Like, I can remember people like flipping their lid because they're like, "Oh, now I can make a a discipline. I've always wanted to make a discipline." And before that, people are always like, "Dude, so I made up this discipline. Can I play it in your game?" Always. And you're like, "No, not at all. That's not a thing." And it's not to turn into nerd words. I want this to be documented right. in a calm, logical fashion. 
as a storyteller over 10 years for a LARP and this book came out, you ruined my nights. <laughs> Literally, I had spent the better part of a month. I'm given 30 days easy right. over a course of two years of every single... I'm new. I come from so-and-so. I brought 10 players for your game. So that means you let me play this discipline. By the way, here's my five pages of discipline. Right. Level one. I'm able to crack the earth with an eye wink. Dude, I, I honestly, I remember before this book came out and when this book came out, I remember being uh, at LARPs and being like, I didn't play much tabletop at the time, but I remember when this book came out and people were like, dude, there's a table in the book. Like, there's no reason. Like, when this came out, it was the first time I ever saw anybody go, yeah, can I play like a 15 gen uh, character? And I was like, I, you know, here's my own discipline. And I remember every storyteller just like taking off their glasses and just grabbing the bridge of their nose. Right. And just being like, let me read what you've got. Like, let me give you your day in court. Right. I already have a no. You know that. I grabbed the bridge of my nose. It's no, man. Why the fuck are you fucking with the system? Right. But you know what? Maybe you'll surprise me and you read it. Nope. <laughs> I, I was actually worse than I thought. Right. And why I want to make this make sense is because you can remember me having 107 people of a two-hour pre right. of a four-hour game. When I held that book up, this is Time of Thin Blood. I will let all of you decide if this book should be considered canon in our game. And I remember the almost unanimous no right. of people get fucked. We don't need this. This is bullshit. Why is it here? And I remember like maybe, two, I, I say almost everyone because there was like 20 people I'll say. Who were, and there was 20 people who I, I will add right. were the fucking problem players anyway who were like, maybe not all 20, but they but they were like, oh no, we got some cool ideas for disciplines, man, time in court. This is going to be cool for everybody. And it wasn't. Right. Because I held up one, remember I said this book, I will hold it up for one reason. It's right. a book, they made it, we'll have it. It will be used as reference, it's in game, but here's the understanding of it. And I think every storyteller should do this. If In this book, when you get to this discipline section, tell the player it has to be tied in to the lore of vampires right in some capacity of what they can do that white wolf has not already covered that's right. the caveat right sorry that's no the little, no little no soapbox I, there. I totally i so i i think it bears discussion because yeah this you know this does it gives us the very long uh study by by dr netchurch right and then it gives us the quote hard and fast rules and you know it goes over all of the different terminology the the rules for creating these characters it gives you like you know how things affect them what's different what's changed and then you know it goes into this creating a discipline and they give you a very they give you what is it two paragraphs where they're like here's the easy way there's a bunch of books that have disciplines that aren't in the current <laughs> you could just use those call them whatever you want like doesn't matter or you could do it the hard way, which is like, here's two full pages and here's like a, here, like it, it, to me, they give you, they give you this table on creating a discipline. And to me, it was like, they were like, okay, this is the table that we use when we make a discipline. Mm, try your hand. Right. And what did we get? We got the Lotharians. Right. Do you remember that? Right. That pamphlet I think everybody got where, where people, brilliant people came up with their whole entire different bloodlines than Vampire had. And their own unique powers. Like they had a whole that Lost Boys was called the Lotharians. Right. I don't know if anybody remembers them, but they had a power that was basically flight, but more broken. <laughs> like the ability to fly right. mock speeds, right, like, like right. you were X Men. And it was like, well, this almost had me. I, I remember uh, this again is a little aside, but I remember the first time I ever encountered something like that. I had been playing Vampire for like two years. And we're walking in a park, and it's me and a group of friends. And this girl runs by 
And we're like, hey, where are you? And she's like, no, 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 I'm not here. I'm up in the sky. In fact, when I go past you, you'll hear a sonic boom. And I was like, oh, I think I maybe went to the wrong game. Right. And then I, fi- I found out later what she was playing. And I, I wasn't happier, but I was like, okay, well, I guess, you know, the bottom line is this game and the people that play this game, like, it's a creative game. It stirs creativity. People always want to be creating new things. And that's awesome. It's designed for that. However, you better get with a core group of people that are open to that. The book you're holding, I, I, I stand by White Wolf on this. It's their material. It's their product. It's their story. Right. So if they release it to you, they give you the parameters where you can play with it a bit, right? Right. So if they can play, play with it a bit, no problem. But here are the guidelines. Almost universally, those guidelines are never obeyed. Oh, yeah. With the modicum of the book says, throw the rules out, do whatever we want. And I'm always like this. Yeah, you can do that. But go play your own game. Right. You, there needs to be a structure and and a balance. And as a storyteller, um, I'm not typically apt to let anybody create their own discipline. Right. Um, it's not so much that I'm against that creativity, but I'm against how unbalancing something like that can be because you you have you've not play tested it. No one's put in the work. No one's put <laughs> right. in the effort. So anyways, that's that's our that's our you know chapter in a nutshell there. It's that long it's all points. Right. Just telling you it's there. You want to make your own discipline, you want guidelines, they give them to you. And chances are, you know, if you've been playing this game for more than 6 months, you've probably tried your hand at it. Of course. Uh so then we go into the perspective that the thin-blooded have on the rest of the world around them. Uh the Camarilla and this is all written from the perspective of one individual, I suppose, one or or a number of individuals, but they give you the feel that there was a crew, there was a group of them that are like kind of survivors, that are just living it out because they got it worse than Anarchs, they got it worse than Caitiffs. Right. Netchurch even points out the fact that the rumors of Caitiffs walking in the sunlight, well, they came through the thin-blooded research. I've right. I've broken, I've debunked the myth. There is blood. There is a limit to the curse of Cain, and it is fifteen generations removed. Scientific terminology. Mm-hmm. generations i've defined them and right. what they are in potency i've defined what a veu is um and because of that i have thus discovered the blood point right <laughs> so this is all vampiric potential to bring in a game to say what there's only one through 15 right that's it for the generations and 15 is the limit where you're basically a human but not right and uh um they they start to reference in here uh the week of madness um and we'll get to that at the end of the book um or the the week of madness, the week of nightmares. Week of nightmares. I'm sorry, <laughs> I don't know why I called it the week of madness. My bad. Kind of was when it launched, to be honest. But fair yeah, enough. Yeah. Fair enough. Um, but then uh, after again, the, this this sort of like diary of a thin blooded and unbound, whatever you want to call them. Um, then they get into like the specifics, like the game specific, no longer narrated. Like here's here's some rules. Here's some things that that they have to look at. And uh, they talk about uh, the mortals and, and of course, the Unbound, all their associations, where they might fit in. And then they talk about the Dampiers. Now, this is a flip the script. Because uh, I'm going to say it, think, Nate, and I, I didn't hear if you agreed with me or not when I said it. I find no difference between Dampier and a Revenant, other than they're telling us it puts spe- special polish on it. Now, I do know that this is odd, right? Mm-hmm. That a 15th gen is what it takes to either impregnate or be impregnated by a mortal. Right. That's that's what it is. They even hypothesize that maybe you could do two 15 gens, but never heard of it. Right. And, you know, it's a bold storyteller to go with that, and that's what they say. But I was like, okay, so if a damn peer creates its own blood and is thus immortal, right. 
and a revenant is the same thing except they're they're a quote-unquote made bloodline right right so dampier is born but a revenant is made over time yeah all I, right you know it it's it's uh it's a stylistic choice in their writing that um like i can see clearly what the difference is but i can see clearly based on how they describe it right to me there there isn't really any difference and and they talk about um like net church talks about encountering this masterless ghoul and you know he brings him in and starts questioning him and you know finds out like oh okay you, you say your mother is a vampire that's ludicrous that's impossible however i am a scientist so i should look into this even if your claims are absolutely outlandish and he's professional right they talk about how these 15 generation vampires in very extreme circumstances are able to reproduce the aspects of humanity that they've lost as vampires for sure whether it's being able to digest food or to have like actual sexual intercourse or you know uh to spit or sweat like actual human sweat or one of the examples is grow a five o'clock shadow the thing is, though, it is really, really incredibly difficult for them to do it, right? It's basically when they, like, it's the same as, like, healing an aggravated wound, essentially. Well, it's difficult in terms of it costs blood. Right, right. It's right? really difficult for them to enable their bodies to do that, right? It's very taxing, and it's very rare, super rare. I think the example that I read, and I'm paraphrasing this because mm-hmm. uh, I did have reread it, but... Uh, understand i've never diehard played this actually no 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 absolutely so not in, in fact i'm I'm, and, I'm against it and as a caveat so, i want to just piggyback off of that as we continue our personal opinion of this is it's horseshit right my personal opinion of this is it's hogwash it is uh, to me it doesn't add anything to this game right continue now it's it's like something like five blood points and they're able to digest a meal right to retain one blood point yeah 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 it's rules like that that highlight what nate just said why the fuck would you ever want to do that? Right. Like, if I'm 15, Jen, I'm eating Wait a minute. If I'm more human, shouldn't it be easier? Right. Wait, wait, wait. We said you can actually digest and gain nutrition. Right. Without waste. You might How's be able to that? keep. You might be able to keep other other than doing that. That crazy five blood and a will thing that you just talked about. Uh you you can keep it down a little bit longer because you're like less vampiric. Right. You know, like you're still going to puke it up, but it might take you an hour instead of minutes. And don't forget, then you got to go out and eat a person. Right, right, right. To right, get back your right. strength. Like mm-hmm. it's wow. So anyways, the creation of the Dampier requires a vampire that has gone through the effort to sort of re-enable the human functions of their organs. Five blood. Right, right. And a will. Don't forget that. It right, requires a willpower will. too. And then... You got to have sex with somebody and like, it's super difficult to get pregnant. Like, oh, and I forgot you got to hope you're not ovulating. Right. right. That's this. That's if it's a male to female vampire, you got to, she's almost got to time it. Remember her normal menstruation cycle and time her awakening to be with that in order for her to like, which is another crazy. So, so it's like super rare. And then there's like super rare on top of it because contrary to popular belief, it's difficult to get pregnant. Like, Right. They give it's you not going to happen every time. Twenty percent. Right. right, right. And then if you do get pregnant, it's like a twenty percent chance that the child will even live. Right. Because uh, as it turns out, consuming vampire blood and having a baby not super great for the baby. Um, <laughs> yeah. Who would have thought that? So, anyways, you have this like super rare daywalker 
Like it's hard not to go there. Yeah, I, I mean, it's hard. What's the story of Blade? Right, right. She was pregnant, got attacked by a vampire. He contracts the condition mm-hmm. and comes out the right, daywalker. Right, he's just a badass without any of the side effects. Okay, this one says pretty much not. You're right. Not that Dampier are like badasses, but oh, they they are. They are by comparison. Right. So what can a Dampier do that a 15th gen can? Well, number one, all their blood pool counts. But it's not actually blood in their system. It highlights it. It's a supernatural. It's the first time in print they're like, it's not really blood. They don't really lose blood. (laughs) It's like like a spiritual limiter. It's like a supernatural effect. So when we say they got 10 blood and they're using that 10 blood, which, by the way, they can use for everything a normal vampire can, except for blood bonding, obviously, because they're not a full-on vampire, but they can heal wounds with it. They can uh, imagine that alone baffles me. Ghouls can't heal as quick as normal vampires because they have a blood limiter. Right. Right? And they're like at three. They're three blood. This Dampier got all ten. He can blow all ten, and it doesn't damage him. Right? A mortal, if they get shot and take a lethal, if the ghoul spends a blood to heal, they actually are hurt. Right. Right? Now, granted, it's a bashing term of it. It's like a level of exhaustion. But if they do that too much, they could potentially die, depending on the situation. Right. Here's this Dampier, though. Shoot him all you like. You're going to come back like Blade. Yeah, he's yeah, gonna have no I mean, problem with it. He can heal or he can resist lethal damage. Yeah, that's huge too. Normally, a ghoul can't. Ghoul gets shot. Ghoul shot. That's that. Right. You know, aggravate lethal. The same thing. But this dude can, which makes Dampier pretty awesome in that regard. Right. And they and they mentioned like these are these are super rare. These are brand new. Like we've only found one. But they kind of go on to say like. But there's going to be more. Right. There's going to be a lot of them. Just They're just not discovered or, or whatever. Um, then we move into the Kindred Society in the final nights. And uh, this is just a bunch of notes, and I found it exceedingly difficult to read and keep on track. Oh, I forgot. The key thing for Dampier, I was reading this too, which, which I thought actually, actually did like this point. Unlike Revenants, they're in mortal period. Right. Once they mature and they're there, they're there. It's done. They don't age. Which means, oh, because, and here's why, they regenerate one blood point a day. And when they're all out of blood, they're just tired. <laughs> right. And that's it. They're just tired. And they can slowly come back or they could drink a vampire's blood. Right. Now, why would they do that? If I don't need to drink, if I don't need to be a ghoul to, like, because remember, revenants have a retarded age. Right. Right. And this doesn't mean they have a re-re-age. It right. means that they're, they age slow. Right. right. Age it's really slower. slow. But they still age. Dampier? Uh-uh. Not at all. So... With that regenerating their own blood, with them being immortal on top of it, they're limited because they can't hold disciplines. Not not so well, not so much. It's like basically they get a dot. Right, I think that's their max. And that's all they're going to get. However, if they get a regnant of potent blood, they fall into a nice little chart line of what they can grow into, which is where you get the highlight of, hmm, this is why I would want one of these guys. Right. Way more efficient battle-wise, I'm highlighting, who knows the other way. And uh, and and that's where you get it. Apologize, didn't want to leave out that. No, tip. no, it's it's totally fine. I was just kind of like going over the these. There's a couple of pages. I think it's like three or four pages, where it's like basically just post-its of little snippets of opinions and mad ramblings, and um, we'll let you go over that yourself. I don't right. really care about that in the slightest. Um, then we go into a long section. There's a lot of shit in this book, but we go over another long section. Of classic rock, no, of uh, <laughs> of Gehenna cults. There is a whole, just like right in the middle of this chapter, 
There's a whole section on Gehenna cults, and there's a bunch of them. Again, you guys can read over those. Why are they? We can do the general though. Mm -hmm. Why hit you with Gehenna cults in something called the Time of Thin Blood? It's a book about Thin Bloods, Dampiers, and what else? Right. Well, that's because they are launching this to be the precursor for full-on Gehenna. Right. Right. That's what's going on. What's Gehenna without the apocalyptic cults running around telling you Gehenna's coming? Right, absolutely. That's all really need to be said about them. And, but you'll, and, and it's all types. It's it's all stuff that we've we've kind of talked about in previous books, previous editions. Like, oh, there's these like Gehenna cults. People devoted to Lilith. People devoted to Cain. People devoted to you know what's going to happen. Let's go serve the Antediluvians. I mean, there's a giant sect that's essentially Gehenna cult. Right. But like now, it's ramping up, baby. It's like <laughs> it's the time of thin blood, homie. What you gonna do? We're meeting on Tuesdays and Thursdays. Right, right. Uh, and then, um, you know, there is uh, some more information about the policies and, and the different, like, they go over the different clans and, like, how they view the thin-blooded. Sure. Um, there's just a ton of stuff here. And then, finally, we get to the Scourge. The Scourge uh, that who his there job is to, his or her job is to basically go throughout the domain there's a ton of people right now in curse of cain that are happy to hear that there's a book with this stuff in it and this is your book time of thin blood right it tells you the, tells you the history of what the scourge does the purpose what is used like in modern times why it's reinstated and what does the scourge do in the in the in the past nate um no one knows who coined the term scholars debated its antiquity nevertheless surviving records suggest that the scourge was known in old babylon roman carthage his ancient duty was to beat the bounds. In other words, to patrol the borders of his lord's territory, driving out or killing any trespassers who might be found. Exactly. That's an old world way of saying, if you're the scourge, your job is be the prince's nightmare man. Plain and simple. Right. The prince has outlined territory that is his. Absolutely. What makes it his? He can fuck your day up. Right. And that's the limit, right? Everyone has a limit to their power. And why a prince gets to be a prince? Because they know exactly where that demarcation line is. Right. However, there's always going to be Johnny come lately. He's going to come in and think that they're just going to sneak in and grow and take what, what's the prince's. Right. Well, the prince can't go out and have a murderous time all the time. People are going to get upset. So he turns around and he finds the local wannabe badass he's always having trouble with. And he says, listen, got a job for you. You're never going to mount to anything. And you're pretty terrifying. Instead of killing you, how about I give you a job? Right. What? Don't tell the sheriff. I'll do that. Um, all I need you to do is make sure that on those borders, any caitiff, anyone doesn't know why they're here, we don't need more anarchs. We don't need anyone I tell you that doesn't make the list. <laughs> right. Makes it to your makes it to you, and they don't make it. I see I see it very much like a, like a meeting in a room, right? Yep. And and in this room there's a window that looks out over the floor. And uh, it, it's an Elysium night, and everyone's there uh, talking and kibitzing. And, he, and the prince just goes, look out on that floor. You see everyone there? Remember their faces. Anyone else? If they happen to cross your path? Well, I guess they should never get to me, should they? Exactly. Exactly. It's as threatening as it sounds, hence the title Scourge. Right. He is there to scourge the excess. Now, why? Because in the modern nights, why it got re Well, in the past, you get it. Right. In the medieval times, I have to mark my territory to know who the who who was planning to take my territory over and kill me. That's what was important. But back then, my coterie was all I had, and we grew a village and a castle and maybe a surrounding hamlet, depending on how strong we were. So the scourge is important, and, and often probably a scout more than anything, right? You go and tell everybody, strength comes out. 
in the modern, he's a nightmare man. Because nightly people are trespassing. You have people who are able to fly in in a span of an hour, land, get out at the airport, take a cab, go where they want, meet with who they want, do whatever they wanted to do, and then leave. And by the time I find out, if they're quick enough, I'll never know. Right. Right? And then who were they? But if I have the scourge, I can devise a whole system of checks and balances to where my whole people who need to know are aware of these new arrivals. Right. And who's those arrivals might be? And here's some eye openers. If I'm the prince, the harpy is number one on my list because that is your safety. If the harpy has you on their list, then okay, great. Then I can just forward that to the scourge. And these are the people who are, who are under my wing for whatever reason we're waiting. Right. However, what's the note about the harpy? If I remove your status, if I tell if I tell the prince, I don't I don't know who your favorite was, sire. I mean, after that big debacle, which surely wasn't the one you favored, had to have been someone else. I don't know who this person is. Right. When undoubtedly that's their way of saying you're no longer protected by the prince. That's the scourge, and what the scourge is doing is putting on a bib. Right. That's what's going on. Right now, now the scourge can play different roles in different cities depending on how you choose to run your city, what kind of prince you have, how he wants to deal with it. But in these increasingly dark, dangerous times the that, are, blood that are times. right, these are you're dealing with dregs. You're dealing with those that that they they take up hunting grounds. They are a risk to the masquerade. And some princes may go, when you find them, arrest them, bring them to me, and I will pass judgment. Great. But when the scourge goes, you know, last night I was out and someone jumped me, and uh, well. They were weak and pathetic, and <laughs> here's a bag of ashes. The prince is going to go try to make sure to respect the masquerade, of course. Right. But you've done well. Sweep the rug. Here's another term that the Scourge actually does do. It falls in their line of duty. They also make sure that other denizens of darkness are accommodated. I mean, but here's what I mean by accommodated. It's a terrible term. Um, they're called. They're dealt with. They're, exactly. Like, if you're a mage who has all this omnipotent power and you're going to blah, 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 the prince gets to send this guy after you to have you dealt with. And if he can kill you, great. No skin off the prince's nose. If it discouraged dies because it couldn't kill you, all right, we'll agree to a meeting. Right. Now, it's it's what they talk about in here and what they talk about, I believe, in the Camarilla Guide. The, the resurgence of a scourge indicates a very dangerous time indeed. You have elders who are becoming very greedy, tightening their hold on their domains, and um, murder becomes a more, much more quick-to-jump-to option. Right. So uh, not a good idea. It's not someone you want to come in contact with. You don't want to be uh, in line. You don't want to be in the sights of the scourge. What cities would have a scourge? Just because I think that's fair, right? Mm-hmm. Um, any city where you have a cross, any convention game, any any city where you're going to have lupine populace mixing with werewolf or mixing with vampires, mixing with mage, anytime that's going to happen. Anytime you're going to have the Camarilla at odds with the Sabbat. Right. It's great to have a scourge for obvious reasons. You're in a city that has three vampiric sects going at it, L.A. Yes. Mm-hmm. You're going to need it because every territory the Camarilla is able to take and claim as theirs, they need someone patrolling that constantly yeah. to keep people on the up and up. Look at Look at like New York City. You know, I'm sure, sure, you know, Camarilla maintains hold there. They're going to need that. A city like Chicago, where you have a 10 million populace, uh, not the city itself, but the suburbs, the surrounding area, Chicagoland. Where don't you need a scourge? Off the top of my head, London. 
Paris. These are established elder domains that are less. Here's the thing to know about London. Mm-hmm. Mithras is, is almost eternal right. up until recently, right? And even then, depends on your opinion of Monty Coven and your chronicle. In mine, he will be back. <laughs> okay? That's, that's how that goes. But the simple fact is, is that Mithras, the Prince of London, has a legacy going back to Rome. Right. So that being the case, his influence is everywhere. He, he doesn't need a scourge. And his sheriff is a damn near god. Right. Okay, in London. Um, nobody runs afoul of that cat, and that's it. Now it's Queen Anne's sheriff, right? There's the deal. I do want to remind you, thanks to Giovanni Chronicles, they have a guy who was supposed to be dead of an extinguished bloodline that was like just the chronicler of Mithras. Yep. Yeah. He's just, is, a, yeah, just a dude hanging out. So those old school camera, pre Camarilla elders who have established land and blossomed. Like Paris and London, eh, right. it's a little redundant. I, I really feel like it, large American cities are the types of places that are going to have it because large American cities are less easy to contain and less easy to have your sheriff and his deputies out all night patrolling the borders. And socially and culturally speaking, it's almost like the kind demand it because America's always been the wild bunch. Right. And it's founding and still this day. Someone's going to pop off. It's going to happen. It, it makes sense that the kindred reflect that. And you kind of need a nanny. And right. that's, that's where that comes in. So not to digress, I just want to give you something to arm where right. the scourge fall in. So moving forward, we have uh, chapter three, which is character creation. Um, it gives you all the details on how to create one of these characters. Uh, yeah, we don't need to detail that at all. Really, other than stats, unique merits and flaws. Right. Bears a look. Chapter four, um, it tells you about, gives you information on how to run a chronicle that is using the final nights as its background. Uh, it's using the setting gives you theme mood. Of course you want to read through this because this is going to give you really great advice on how to interject this into your game. Now, what we said earlier, what I said earlier, if you want to run this in your game, you're not dumb for doing that. You're not crap for doing it. Uh, this goes along with their lines. So if you want to tell this story out to completion and your chronicle is going to end in Gehenna, Awesome. This is a great tool to do that. Got to tell you, um, for me and Nate, we're deaf to the trumpet. Gabriel right. Blewett's trumpet on Old World of Darkness. We just ignored the tr- the music sheets he was handing out for us to fucking play. Right. In that band. We just didn't do it. And reason why, 100%, it, it didn't make sense. Right. It was something that, like, for, to, to, to let it air open completely, these books that you're going to see coming out basically make it seem like they're over and done. Right. And they're moving on. And if you love the prod and a lot of the fans did, that wasn't going to fly. Right. Long standing chronicles, beloved characters, a fun troop, things interacted. You were disappointed it was going. And then look to the modern. There's a reason we have V5. Right. Right. Because obviously they get that. But they gave you something to replace it. We won't go over it. Two previous podcasts we mentioned, Requiem, we'll leave it at that. Right. But note that throughout this book and the others that come out. Now, I will say, in my opinion, you can take the information that's in these books, the changes that are made, the things that are happening, and you can ramp them up into a continuing chronicle. You don't necessarily have to take your barrel over the waterfall. Correct. That's a perfect analogy. And because to me, I have used Time of Thin Blood. Most of my players never would notice. Right. Have I used a 15th gen? Sure have. He lasted about a shotgun blast from Jeff. <laughs> so there right. went that over and out and jeff is like where'd my five point retainer go well that's the dude who you shot with the shotgun oh that dude's kind of weak i gotta get a better ghoul and i didn't say shit right. i spent all night making that character 
he didn't have it. It's just that <laughs> right. simple. He just right. wasn't strong. And and we'll move on. But the point is, when you use stuff like this in these books, it's chock filled with like I like to call them. To me, this is a storyteller book. Yeah, it absolutely is. I would never let a player play this because the letdown. I didn't want to hear the whining. And and I apologize to people who are players of mine or whatever, even if I'm that player. Whenever you limit someone that's different from the majority, you feel marginalized. Right. It doesn't matter if you're the special snowflake. And this is definitely a book where you're you're, you're willingly playing something to get marginalized by everybody. Right. And then the natural reaction of a lot of people is to go, oh, you're a special snowflake? Well, here, have a wrench in the knee. <laughs> because, you know, like I'm tired of hearing you bitch and complain that you you only take lethal from sunlight. But a wily, smart player who, who manages to be with a storyteller of like mind who who agrees to try this and knows oh man it can go bad at any moment they got the paranoia right because they're very right any given moment someone can find out that you're not what you appear to be and you better hope they don't believe in gehenna cults right but i like the gehenna cults in this book i like the fact that there could be a damn peer somewhere oh absolutely i also like the fact that there's someone like douglas douglas netchurch who or dr netchurch who's going well let's collect them put them in a special room yeah and today we try cattle prods and and i think that again to restate this i think that the most important thing that you should get out of the remaining revised books is that there are really good tools to use to continue to move your game forward into the modern nights yep but you don't have to move that to gehenna you don't have to end your game at that because honestly you know it, it is a letdown i understand why a lot of players were like really gehenna fuck this like why they tuned out and we're like, I don't even want to try this because it feels like you pushed me towards this game ending. And clearly we were having a ball, right? We were not ready for it to end, even though you guys were, um, the next two chapters, uh, I don't think need to be summarized individually. They have the, uh, the like play characters, the, the, the seer, the vampire dad, the, you know, like, like you'd get in the end of a clan book. Ima- yeah. Imagine like a thin blooded clan book and they give right. you the, the templates for it. Exactly. Um, and uh, that, I believe, leads us right into the, the appendix, of, which right. is the Week of Nightmares. And the Week of Nightmares, uh, definitely read it because it's it's very interesting. They give you little perspectives, little snippets of, of all these different groups in the world of darkness about what happens during the Week of Nightmares. And here's an Easter egg. The Week of Nightmares starts with a thing called the Eye of Hazamel. It's something they ran. Uh, a lot of the stories they do for White Wolf go beyond the game books right. that you can get. Their novels, all of them, tie in somehow to canon. They put it in the hands of trusted writers, sometimes members of staff, get to be a novelist. This is one of them. And right. when you check out the Eye of Hazamel plotline, storybook, whatever, it lets you know why the gang girl left the Camarilla. Right. Off the bat, that exodus. But after that exodus, something very dramatic happens. And, and during this time, too, which we haven't discussed, there is an entire series of 13 clan novels. And those are coming out intermittently as new books come out. They're being released in a staggered, uh, uh, staggered series. And they're good. They're worth reading so that you they're can get good. a full idea of the plot. Um, and it will also help you, I think, as a storyteller to go, is this what I want to include in my game? Do I want to push the plot in this direction and follow it like the books and, uh, you know, like the novels are, are doing? But uh, essentially, the Week of Nightmares to summarize it up the ravnos antediluvian wakes up we learn in here something very specific the overwhelming number of vampires is not what's stirring these ancients it's the overwhelming number of deaths 
So as your scourge is running out there and hunting down and murdering all these caitiff and thin-blooded, he's actually helping along the the uh, Gehenna. He's he's helping to wake up Antediluvians. And basically, what's happening here is in India, the Ravnos, which is they, they tell us this is where they originate from, and they've been in a battle against these Kwai Jin, which are Eastern vampires, for hundreds of years. Cathans. Right, and it's been ramping up and ramping up, and the Ravnos have been doing what vampires do, what the Sabbat does, just keep grinding them out, grinding them out, grinding them out. And what's happening is they're making weaker and weaker and weaker vampires. And what they're, and what they're highlighting here <laughs> is that, obviously, the dilution of blood. So remember, there's 1 through 15 you can go, and apparently, these antediluvians slept just fine, knowing they were 13. Mm-hmm. Once you had 14 and 15, that's when you're ringing the dinner bell. Right. It's as if the blood only had a, one step it should ever have gone, and the more that curse thinned out, the more places it went. Right. Just bad news. So, finally, some Methuselahs woke up, and they were like, what's the deal? What's going on? And uh, they start getting smoked. <laughs> and finally, the, the progenitor of the clan wakes up. And all hell breaks loose. Shit gets crazy. Ravnos starts eating Ravnos. They're they're going to town. They're going to town. And it's all an urge to bring the blood back. Right. That's really all it is. If you look at it, why are they diabolizing each other to make their blood more potent? It's so when an antediluvian comes around, it's less running around it's got to do. Well, it's, and, it's taking it back. Right. And then reading this, all of these supernatural entities, they're like, oh shit, this thing's awake. That's fucking bad for business. And so shit hits the fan. These Kwaijin, these like ancient Kwaijin vampires. Ancient mages, legendary werewolves. Right. Uh, you name it, it's coming. The progenitor the, X. Right. All. So, so these, these Asian vampires, they block out the sun and they fight day and night. And they summon a vast storm and it's just wiping out everything, right? Codename Ragnarok where it's 100% casualty right. for the entire area. Right. Tens of thousands are worth six billion. They cite everything. From Iteration X to your Malcolm X. I mean, it's all being right, thrown at right. this antediluvian. Every fucking thing is trying to kill this this antediluvian. And then, uh, you know, they, they talk about, like, figures of, like, a million three right. in Bangladesh just dead. Just everyone there is dead. There's this this tempest, this storm. Uh, the There's just hellfire raining down from the sky and neutron bombs and the the heat of four suns. And finally, it's all over. And when Ravnos, when the progenitor dies, they all go crazy. All the Ravnos go crazy and start eating each other and just madness. And, and basically, the clan dies almost completely, save for maybe 100. And all that's left now are the very, the very few that survived. Mostly no elders are left of the clan. And it's just scattered Ravnos throughout the world. And to this, we would like to say that even White Wolf went, we don't know why we made the Ravno. Yeah, we're not. So we took it back. Yeah, sorry about that, guys. Um, are we cool now? I mean, you could still play them, but like, <laughs> they're they're basically dead. I'm like. jabbing you. I'm jabbing you. I think it's just the clan <laughs> they picked that had a cool start to the final nights. So right, that's all it is. right. So yeah, that, that basically wraps up this book. And um, there's nothing more that need be said. Uh, the... This book has the saving grace of having the information about the Week of Nightmares in the back. Right. To me, it was a very interesting read, and it was it was like, uh, you know, kind of like got your heart racing a little bit, like, oh, shit, what's going on? Like, well, oh, my God. What got me going 
was the Conclave of Princes, the secret one. Oh, yeah. I that Marcus that. Vittel hosted. Oh, yeah. Ah, uh, how good was that to read? No, Prince I love Marcus that. Vittel brings Queen Anne and Francois Villon into one spot to right. have a chat about what's going on. Right. And, uh, no, That's it was, awesome. It was, it, was definitely, it was definitely good. That's the end of this podcast. We thank you for listening. If you care about this book um, and you want to use this storyline, go out and pick it up. It's the Vampire of the Masquerade book for the Year of the Reckoning. If you're following there, year of the insert title here you know definitely pick this up it's good to get an idea of the plot and where it's headed oh i forgot we forgot a very important point uh there's an actually eight point merit in print in this book it's called whistler <laughs> no it's not. you should limit it you no, should limit not. it in your game bob's a liar anyways <laughs> uh next week we will be doing finally the revised edition camarilla guide uh definitely awesome i think that this game has always needed a camarilla guide and a sabat guide and then they were like oh let's release those as books so next week we talk about the camarilla we're going to go into great detail this is something worse out there than vampires oh yeah like what like me some assholes are always just trying to ice skate uphill I don't know, stupid. Yeah, it's good. This is, uh, don't be surprised when you hear, like, the Blade song at the end of this podcast. All right, guys, uh, thank you for all of your support. Thank you for all of our patrons uh, over at Patreon. Uh, Next week, we'll give shout-outs to all of our new patrons, our new backers over at Patreon. Until next week, I am Nathan. And I'm Bob.